You're listening to the Networks Podcast, where we talk all things marketing and digital. I'm your host, Lisa Ma, and I'm part of the team who run the face-to-face Networks events across Brisbane, Australia. We're now bringing this great content to you, the listener. Each episode is a live recording of a past panel discussion, and so if you like what you hear, the magic of these events is still being in the room and making connections in person. To check out when the next live event is on, visit networksevents.com.au or find the link in the show notes. In this episode, we have a juicy conversation on strategy and innovation for 2019, the latest in emerging trends and tech. Make sure you stay listening to the end when we cover off the panel's final top tips. Happy listening. So welcome to Networks. We love holding these events because they're informative yet relaxed, not to mention held in funky or unique venues around Brisbane. And I'd now like to introduce you to your panel facilitator this evening, James Gorsey. James is a senior digital manager, passionate about strategy, innovation and value delivery. He's led the delivery of apps and websites for the likes of Spotify and MTV. And he was recently accepted onto the board at Metro Arts. Would you please put your hands together and welcome James. And thanks for the opportunity for, for me to be able to help extract information from these people and deliver it into your brains. It's uh, always a highlight of my every two months. So, uh, look, uh, let's, let's not uh, beat about the bush too much. Um, should we... Uh, do we have the slide where we have what we're talking about tonight? Let's maybe... Oh, there we go. All right, now I know what we're talking about. Um, so, tonight uh, we've got a really high-quality panel. Um, not that we don't normally, but this is just another, another order of magnitude, you know. Um, and so, tonight I'll be talking with this panel about innovation trends that uh, we're going to see take off and make a really big impact next year. Um, these are the people that are, in some cases, making the decisions, in some cases, holding the budgets uh, to, to be able to make these types of things happen. Um, we're going to be discussing some of the, some of the approaches uh, that these people take uh, to maximise return on their effort and investment and, and the best ways to do that in, in a modern context. Um, we're going to explore a little bit about enterprise agility and, and agile generally. It's something that is permeating uh, away from technology and more into general business and we're going to explore a little bit about what that means for marketers. Um, we're going to talk a, a touch on Omnichannel really, really quickly um, and what context uh, Omnichannel gives to exactly what we're going to be achieving uh, with new technologies and, and innovative strategies. And uh, we're also going to we, we have a dedicated AI panelist, um, so we, we can't pass up the opportunity to talk about how AI platforms are going to change marketing for the better um, moving forward. So let's uh, let's bring our panelists forward here. Uh, first up, we have Nigel Dalton, the chief in- inventor of REA Group. Uh, he joins us tonight from Melbourne. He's a passionate, lean, and agile technology leader with more than 25 years of IT-related experience across government, multinationals, and startups. What a CV! Can you please welcome Nigel? Next up, uh, we have Jenny Williams, and in her role as Chief Marketing Officer for CompareTheMarket.com.au, she's looking to fast-track the company's transformation, and of course, she's responsible for everybody's favourite brand assets, the Meerkats. Please welcome Jenny. (laughs) 
Single-handedly bringing back the Russian accent into the Australian lexicon. Um, and uh, finally, uh, we have John Cosgrove to round off the panel. Uh, partner for Salesforce Einstein at Chemistry, which is a growth ops business. We'll try and unpick each of those uh, stakeholders <laughs> when he comes up here. But he's a passionate advocate for data democracy and data-driven work. Can you please welcome John? Let's get stuck into it straight away. So, I wanted to get a really, really quick fire retrospective, just bullet points from each of you around things like what went well, what didn't go well, what, what do we plan to do better for next year. So let's start off with the positives. What did, as marketers and business, from a strategy and innovation point of view in Australia, do well uh, this year in 2018? Go. I think we should start with the marketer. <laughs> um, I think the, the trend more towards customer-centric marketing is definitely a strong uh, move forward. I mean, I think a lot of people have claimed it, but not a lot of people are actually doing it. But I think we're starting to see uh, that transition into the boardroom and, and organisations starting to see the value model behind customer-driven marketing. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, at a cultural level, that's shifting into a better space. Um, also, you know, I mean, I've been a digital marketer most of my career, and I think, at least in my current environment, and most people I'm talking to, digital is now, you know, equal in its place. It's in its proper place within the marketing mix. So, you know, we're no longer a TV-centric business. It's a, you know, it's an equal, equal footing. So more holistic. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, I, I remember when I returned, but this is probably a longer answer than you wanted, but <laughs> I, I came back to Australia in 2000 and I worked for an advertising agency or a digital agency and my largest client was, no offence, MasterCard Australia and their entire digital budget for the year was 35000 Australian dollars. Now that that's a long way from where we are today, you know, so that's that I think is... You know, it's good to see. I think that's the same budget Harvey Norman has. Um, <laughs> Harvey Norman didn't believe the internet last until now. What else did we do well uh, from from other perspectives, a technologist perspective, an AI perspective? You know, just generally. Yeah, I did that. So the um, the thing which was the biggest thing for me for this year in Australia was I was actually talking to CMOs. Um, almost all of the conversations that I've had this year in Australia have been with. The CMO and uh, or CXO, um, the people that are really being trendy, uh, and, and that that is what I was doing two years ago in um, in Europe. So um, no offence, I'm used to it being more like seven years ago. Like we're getting into. I heard someone once say that Australia is usually getting into whatever the UK is just about to get out. Um, so the the speed with which we are starting to get serious about how the technology needs to be front and centre to customer experience and to the, um, the C-suite has dramatically accelerated. And the other part of that is that um, this was the year we actually started doing stuff, right? We went from talking about stuff to now let's actually do it. Um, unfortunately, that segues into, I think, what your other question, which will be, which is what did we not do so well? A lot of the things we tried for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think for my world, I know I live across various communities, large, publicly listed, and startups, and 
I'm hearing a lot more cogent conversations from startups about needing to think about this thing called marketing in the past. Quite often it's the last thing they add on after they've got their product sorted and then they just can't work out why they aren't millionaires yet. And they're starting to learn. I think if, uh, I've seen a lot more people turning up at meetups and startup events who do actually have communication skills, understand customers, and are adding a lot of value to Australia's startups, which tend to start in a little bit of customer isolation. And, and reaching product market fit. It's interesting that there is actually the word market in that phrase. Um, so what did we suck at this year? What, what didn't we do well? What did we just like fall over on our faces completely with? Uh, collectively. Collectively? Mm. So um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say data. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've got tons of data, companies um, collect tons of data, and I've encountered a huge number of companies with lots of data. But getting that data together to do something smart with is probably the biggest challenge that any organisation faces. You know, there's so many legacy systems and so many, you know, places where it hides that as much as there's huge amounts of power in data, I've yet to meet a company that actually has it all together in their data and can hang on hard. So, yeah, it all talks to each other and we absolutely know everything about everybody. Um, no way. So is it, is it really my notes. Stop it. This is ridiculous. That's my line. <laughs> well, do you want to expand on that? No, not at all. Oh, she eventually oh, captured oh. the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what we completely screwed up. Though the problem is that um, uh, this has been the year where marketers have gone, oh my God, I am never going to do another tech project ever again. Um, because they try to experiment, they actually try to press go on this cool stuff. And they go, well, thank God I'm not doing like a core IT project. Eh, wrong. Because you're going to try and connect even three bits of data together, and then you're going to find out that it's controlled by the same people that are, you know, still screwing up your email account. Um, that's, that's been the pain, I think, of 2018. Nigel? I'm, I'm sort of on the same thing. I'm going to say we utterly, utterly sucked at the world of privacy this year, and get ready, because this is going to cost some people their jobs in the year to come. Uh, GDPR, some people can't even spell that. It's inevitable <laughs> that we will get something like that in our world down under. To be honest, Australian businesses are still just spamming the shit out of everybody. So, notifiable data breaches uh, scheme that came in February the 22nd this year. I've talked to around 2,500 business people this year, and I have met two have heard of that. There have been 242 notifications so far. 89% contain contact information, and 59% were criminal, phishing or stolen credentials. If you have a database or your clients do, it is no longer good enough just to, oh, don't worry, we leave that print out or email that thing through. So many were just simple people emailing a marketing database through. So. Um, that is going to change the world and everyone here needs to get their act together. We sucked on the NBN, but everyone knows that. <laughs> I can't wait for the next election when Labor say, oh, we wasted $100 billion and it was their fault. <laughs> we sucked at ethics and banking, and ethics is a giant issue. John's probably more of an expert on that in terms of AI, but ethics is going to become a giant issue for you, so get on an online course on that as quickly as possible. And if someone says Instagram influencer again, I'm going to throw it. <laughs> 
uh, did anybody attend the Instagram networks last month? Uh, this, this week? Um, sorry, I had to. Sorry, um, but uh, but seriously, I mean, these are all the thing, The great part about these types of challenges is they they represent opportunities to improve, and and we're talking about data and the opportunity to improve the way that we we handle data and and, and store it. Uh, we're talking about ways to do that ethically. Uh, what kind of opportunities do these present to, to Australian business generally, and, and particularly marketing, if you, can, if you can find any examples there? I actually think we should just get more booze and then Nigel keep bitching about 2018. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I think the, if I can lead the witness, I think the opportunity is to do both at once. Uh, you were saying just before, Nigel, is that, that you can kind of solve our issue um, around you need to connect your data sources and get more serious about data at the same time that you're solving things like privacy and, and security. Yeah, you can't solve privacy and security unless you get your data sorted out. That's true. Uh, I guess that's, um, that's let's, let's kind of put that on, on the shelf for a second because I, I want to give the audience a bit of a uh, grounding context in, in who you are and where you're coming from. And, and so I, I want to start with you, Jenny. Compared to market, super highly competitive space, um, affiliate marketing, essentially, um, and working in, into uh, into more diverse service offerings as well. Uh, you're only a few months into the role, but... Nine. Nine, nine. <laughs> um, but how is comparedomarket.com.au uh, continuing to innovate and remain competitive in such a competitive space that is driven by data? Um, oh, there's a couple of different areas. I mean, we've invested fairly heavily um, in the last few years in our marketing technology stack, you know, and there's, there's no question that marketing technology gets um, more and more sophisticated all the time. Um, you know, I think one of the things that attracted me to the company, we are essentially an acquisition business. And so, um, you know, it's not like acquisition is this thing we do off the side and our cash cow is retention, which, you know, for many companies, as much as that is the case and they don't invest in retention, you look at their P&L and that's where the money is. But, um, you know, we, we make everything off the people we acquire first time around. Now, what that means is that the level of sophistication in the way that we develop our acquisition strategies, be that through um, Google or display or how we optimise YouTube to be more effective or, you know, whatever we do in any of those channels, everything is, is micro-optimised down to the age groups of people, the hours when we target them, the keywords that we're using, the demographics we understand about them, what is their comparatives, you know, what, what's their RPS, what's, you know, and that level of intricacy is something that in my entire career I've never seen the level of, of um, you know, detail. Um, but any of those things, the challenge with that sort of level of optimization is that you have to do it in a controlled way. So you can't go in there and change everything all at once and then wonder what worked. You know, ultimately you've got to have each one of those in, in really. So actually the process behind the test loan optimise setup is actually more important than what you're actually optimising. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that's innovation in thinking. The technology is just the enabler of that. 
when, when you talk about innovation and thinking, I mean, it can't just extend to wringing more drops of juice out of the, the orange, you know. But what, uh, what kind of ways are you uh, trying to advance innovative thinking at compared to market? Um, so there's a couple of different sort of pretty key initiatives that we're working on in the background, a lot of which comes into how do we engage customers. So, you know, if we just work on a funnel, then that's, you know, a pretty basic um, metric and, and it's just optimising Nice and consumable for the executives. Yeah, 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 everybody understands it. <laughs> the, the, uh, where the opportunity for us comes, you know, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it at some point, but, you know, everybody knows um, the meerkats, right? They're an incredibly well-recognised brand and everybody loves them, right? The number of people who actually know what Compare the Market actually do, and by the way, we compare insurance products, if anybody in the <laughs> um, That's the challenge, is actually landing what do we actually do. And so we're starting to look at innovations that help inject ourselves into people's day-to-day lives, maybe not for money, you know, maybe it's in developing fuel price optimization for people or helping them optimize their budget or researching the way that they engage with their wallet because ultimately that's where the opportunity lies for us to add value and if we can add value in that relationship then we become more top of mind when they do want to compare their insurance. So it's kind of taking that existing core skill set and applying it to other areas. So how we can add value customers. in a way that services customers, that's right. Makes Let's, uh, let's meet Nigel. Nigel, what does a chief inventor even do? Well, <laughs> here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> so Exhibit A, um, and my job basically, my job description is built around inventing stuff. Because innovation, if you're not doing innovation every day, finding a product market fit, then you're out in a couple of years' time. That is what all of your people and all of your teams should spend their day doing. My job is to go, uh-oh, what might happen in three years? where you know, your CEO or the chairman of the board or whoever has read Time magazine and gone, oh, the Internet of Things, that's what we want. Or, bless them, gone to the Salesforce, you know, glorious piss-up in the, in the Silicon Valley. <laughs> Seen the Rolling Stones. Stakeholder engagement. <laughs> Come back and said, oh, artificial intelligence, that's the future, we should have some of that. You know, my job is to make that a somewhat more sober proposition and actually see if it works. We revolve a small lab that we're thinking about three to five years out, uh, and that, that picture is basically describing one of the things we work on. So at the top right is the inside of most CEOs' heads in my industry. That's Nana's very precious old dinner set, and the, and the cupboard is their business model. So, it, you know it's fallen, you know there's been an accident, and what do typical Australian businesses do? They do not want to open that cupboard. You know what, I think I'm just going to, if I open that cupboard, I'll catch two and I'm going to lose two thirds of my business model, AKA Nana's dinner set. Uh, my job's just to open the cupboard. And whatever falls and breaks, falls and breaks, that's life. And it gets awkward at times, but uh, I don't know, being a Kiwi, I can get away with it. And some of that is involved simple things like the world's worst experience in property, lining up outside a rental property. It's an absolute insult to people's time. And Australians are deeply passionate about three commodities, time, trust, and transparency. You mess with those in your business processes, your communications, uh, you're messing with brand love, the whole nine yards. You won't get a second chance. And so our answer to that was we invented a virtual reality portal inside an Oculus Rift headset where you can walk through the properties beforehand. 
Lo and behold, runs into a giant problem because I'd assumed that real estate agents knew when leases would be up so they could do that in advance. It turns out the data wasn't in that kind of shape. <laughs> so is, how does that feed into the high-level strategy of REA? Um, and I guess, what does the future hold for REA as a result of, of that high-level strategy? The, the strategy is fairly simple. We can see that in three years' time, being in the business of helping people sift through the photographs of second-hand houses on our websites and apps is probably not a great business to be in. And what we need to be doing instead of having people search is have people matched. To match people to a mortgage, to match people to insurance, possibly, you know, buy something as brilliant as your business. Um, to match them to a real estate agent they can trust, which is a difficult thing to discern in this market. Uh, an investment property, all sorts of things. You need data. You, I need to understand people as well as Facebook has, and I don't have a massive locked-in population. So we really had to re-architect the business entirely around that stuff and just stop having a database of people we can send EDMs to and actually think about tracking their behavior uh, at all steps of the, the real estate process. So I get a license to figure out what's coming in three years that we might need to be very good at to survive. You know, I think four Tuesdays ago, 70% of America's rental properties went on Facebook Marketplace. Three Tuesdays ago, Canada's, and then that Friday, the UK. It wasn't really on our radar as a thing, and my job is to think through and help people get to, well, what's the strategy around that? What's the strength, what's the weakness in their strength? And I got the best job in Australia. <laughs> it sounds like it, I'm gonna gun for a cheeky venture roll next time on the market. Uh, let's meet John. John, you know, I alluded to the various stakeholders in your uh, particular job, um, between chemistry and growth ops and Salesforce Einstein, and you're a partner, which one are you a partner of? Yeah. What do you even do? Are you just accruing titles? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> this is like how, in How I Met Your Mother, I just go, please. <laughs> no, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm here today um, uh, based out of uh, Brisbane with our, our crew chemistry, uh, part of what is now the, the GrowthOps family. Um, what is GrowthOps? Okay, it's, uh, it's a group of companies that came together and listed on the stock exchange back in March. Um, hot tip, don't do that. <laughs> it's a really unpleasant process. It, it's actually fantastic. We needed to do it. Um, but it's, as you can imagine, um, it's very hard to do something innovative in Australia and really get everybody to back it to the point where you can actually get the thing listed. Um, but we did it. And the reason that we did it is that we have this belief that um, there is a need for a different type of service um, around growth services. And I'm not doing the pitch, Lisa, so you don't have to throw anything at me. I'm just explaining. I'm, he's just answering the question. I'm answering the question. Yeah, yeah. But, um, the, but the idea is that we're going, we should be able to connect really, really good brand strategy, really good marketing strategy, creative content capability, as well as then particular types of tech, um, particularly tech around cloud, AI, um, stuff where you're trying to bootstrap stuff quickly, because the, the problem is that there's this growing need, hence the conversations with CMOs and CXOs, there's this growing need to actually join them all together to create an experience. But the traditional model, we're also living through a, a year where an enormous number of cool creatives and cool ad companies have been purchased by monolithic major you know, um, uh, consultancy firms. And it's, it's because they're sitting there going, you know what, I'll get a bit of that spice. And, and I'll keep using it to sell my core business model. And actually, the core business model slows everything down. And, and what we're trying to do is to go, you don't have to do 
end to end. The problem is that just finally joining stuff so that it works doesn't have to mean everything now costs $10 million and takes five years and winds up on the front page of Australia. Um, you should be able to join those different cross-functional groups and do really cool stuff, but still do it you know, cost-effectively and available to everybody. Because that, that's the catch-22 in Australia, is that you've got these amazing uh, startup ideas. You've got ideas like GrowthOps, you know, with literally a group of startups that um, have homegrown and, and bootstrapped, and it was one of the shared pains. You know, chemistry knows it, um, HAF knows it, uh, three weeks is, is you know, half a dozen of us, is that um, in order to scale here, you are up against so much stuff. You know, it's, it's really hard to get equity, it's really hard to get funding, it's really hard to get anyone to even give a damn. Um, and so we should be using technology and we should be using the latest in strategy to help us do that, um, but it doesn't need to cost a monster. You should be able to do it um, competitively and, and in an agile way. So in that, uh, I have the job of being the crazy scientist with, um, with AI, um, and in particular, the area that we focus on at the moment has been the, uh, what did you call it again? The almighty piss up in the San Francisco. Um, it's been specifically around this idea of Einstein embedded AI into, um, uh, into the Salesforce platform because the, the big thing that we're passionate about uh, around data is uh, <laughs> several years ago we went, it's kind of pointless. We're spending $17 billion on a BI industry every year and nobody uses it. It's got the worst adoption rate, it's got the worst success rate. And the reason for that is that it doesn't get use. And the moment you try to use it, like really use it, they all freak out and your project doesn't work and nothing connects. It's because they've just been sitting in the corner making pretty graphs. And so we wanted to start looking at where's the technology shifting, and we're seeing this across all the platforms, so that the smarts is built in. So you don't have, here is my smart stack, it fixes all the other stacks that are dumb. That doesn't make any sense. Instead, you go, we should be taking that capability and rolling it into everything, into marketing, into sales, into service. That, that's actually one of the things that we were talking about at last year's event. Uh, was, was anybody at last year's uh, end of year event, quick show of hands, about, I don't know, maybe a fifth quarter? Um, so last year, we were talking about augmented analytics and, and intelligent agents as they apply to, uh, to insights, um, as opposed to just seeing data on a graph. That is the bulk of what we do. And, and, and we were also talking about artificial intelligence, how it might impact things. We were talking about um, augmented reality and, and virtual reality as well. Um, did it all happen like we thought it would in 2018, Nigel? I still see human behavioural problems coming out of the end of it. I think there's um, marketing people who are still very afraid of tech. You know, they might have worked their way up to doing a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, but uh, <laughs> it would just, you know, they didn't do that at school and they freak out and those other kids are a bit smelly and, you know, <laughs> oh, I don't want to hang out with them, but I can tell you that the future is this multidisciplinary approach where you bring what you do creative and understanding and empathy and strategy to a group of people who equally want to solve those problems. So we haven't cracked that, I don't think, in 2018 is just working together nicely. What do you guys think? Did it all happen like we thought it would in 2018? Look, I think um, our industry is famous for, you know, forecasting some huge change. Like, I almost lost count of how many times I went to a conference where they say, this is going to be the year of the mobile. And, you know, it was like, nah, it's not really happening. <laughs> and, then, and by the time it actually did happen, you know, it, we'd all moved on to some other new big shiny thing that was going to be the thing of the future, which 
you know, and, and all of a sudden everybody in the room is holding a freaking smartphone, you know, and, and everything that we said was going to happen, happened, but we just kind of didn't notice it because we were bored of talking about it, you know, so I think, I think that's the way technology does happen, you know, it's like the tipping point idea, you know, but ultimately um, there's always going to be people that, that beaver away on some sort of new technological thing, you know. Now, I would contest that AI has been around for a long time um, and is used to various effect, right? Augmented reality, you know, all of the other kind of cool, interesting things that we can talk about do not have critical mass, you know. Um, the, the whole business, you know, driverless cars, no question, it's going to change the world of insurance one day, you know. How long is it going to be before they've got penetration. I've got a 25-year-old son that refuses to get a driver's license because he doesn't think he's going to need one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, but I'm going to have to drive you around for the next five years or ten years until that's actually the case, you know? So it, it's sort of like that the tipping point comes somewhere when the manufacturers stop making the old technology and you can't buy it anymore. That's when smartphones change, when you couldn't walk into a Telstra shop and not buy a smartphone. So there is that sort of thing where it does gradually sneak up on us. And I think if we're so focused on what's the year of the new thing, um, we kind of lose sight of the fact that, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that were new three years ago that are actually really normal now, you know. And so, I, I don't know, I just, I'm a bit jaded by the whole new thing. thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, on, on that subject, I mean, we, we, uh, we also talked about last year that um, there was uh, an interest, uh, a renewed interest, let's call it, in authenticity and storytelling as it comes to our brands and our messaging. Did you see that as the dedicated marketing stakeholder in, in the room uh, on the panel? Um, did you see any differences or changes that happened over the course of, of the last 12 months in a renewed sense of authenticity or a renewed uh, visit to storytelling? Um. I'm not going to talk about anybody else's brand because mm -hmm. I think that would be um, inappropriate. But but what I can tell you is that when I arrived at at Compare the Market, you know, one thing that was blisteringly obvious is we had this amazing brand asset. Um, and you know, you just have to look at the Millwood Brown reports. I mean, I look. I'll admit, I came into the company sceptical about whether these meerkats had any value whatsoever. <laughs> but. When I actually saw the Millwood Brown reports and I realised the level of brand love that exists for those, you know, cute little CGI guys, um, ultimately there was just no way that we could throw that brand asset away. You know, it's doing a job. The problem is it's doing a great job for the meerkats. So the meerkats are really famous and everybody knows them, but nobody knows what the market does. So, the problem was how do you get them to tell a story that then allows people to understand what the business does? And, and the only way to do that is to tell a story, you know. So we actually sat down and we said, okay, well, how do we make them Australian? Because they were being written by a UK agency and all the gags were wrong. So we moved the agency to Australia, we, de we developed a narrative, and, and hopefully you'll see this roll out over the next few years, you know, the meerkats have moved to Australia. Melbourne 
but you know, could be anywhere in Australia. And they got. <laughs> that rains a lot. Yeah, you don't want to hear about the barbecue shoot. It was like minus four, but anyway. <laughs> I am officially putting my hand up to be your first Queensland meerkat. <laughs> but you know, we've we've found actors who are neighbours, and we're starting to develop the narrative, and the neighbours have a role in the job, and you know, like we've we've really forward thought a longer term story, which is a story, you know, which is not just about meerkats, but about what their role is in people's lives, you know, and and that takes forethought, it takes planning, but, you know, what we are actually seeing is that the effectiveness of that story is starting to land. People are starting to pick up on the narrative. So, um, before we move into next year, um, I know, Nigel, you brought along a couple of examples of things that happened this year that, that you think will have knock-on effects moving forward. Um, did you want to flesh those out a little bit? Um, yeah, we, we might as well just brighten yeah. a few people. So yeah, there's a couple of pieces of technology that did really come good that I think marketers in particular want to think about in the future is how we're going to interact with computers. It was creepy touching the glass on your mobile phone all that time ago. Nobody wanted to do it. It's been creepy to talk to you, Amazon Alexa or Google Home, shouting at it to change the Spotify playlist. And this is extra creepy, but I think this is real. Ignore the fact this is a gigantic thing. This is from MIT, and uh, if we roll the video, we'll see what this amazing piece of plastic does. This, these two brothers have invented a system that intercepts the brain waves as they go down to the jaw and enables them to think controls of computers, so using telepathy effectively. And um, it took them two years to figure it out. He's trained it in about 300 words in a vocabulary. Uh, he can ask it questions, and it, it tells him the answer to a little slightly brainy smartphone that's just behind his ear with a, a bone uh, speaker that goes in there and just goes through it yeah, into your inner ear. He's a student, he's only got 10 bucks for dinner, so uh, he's adding it up in his head as he goes and uh, picking the items, just saying the item. The hardest thing for him is to stop talking. Um, Ten dollars seven. He's out. He's out of luck. Those uh, two-minute noodles are going to go back, mate. And I think this is a world we face as a combination of this kind of computing in your glasses. Um, you know, it looks giant and white, but the fundamental components of that are the size of pinheads. So people will start inserting that into their jaws accordingly. The second thing I wanted to show you is um, just, you know, just before we move on. I mean, this is this is a really growing area of, of human interaction with computers, and, and it's something that uh, even the likes of uh, Elon Musk is is uh, investing money in through Neuralink, and it's this new realm of brain machine interface. If if you want a Googleable term, um, but it's and there's this concept of a wizard hat. We'll all have this wizard hat and we'll be able to do magic with the world around us. What's do you see that? Like, how far off is that? That's really exciting. Look, I think that's within a few years, and it might alter the way we have conversations with each other. It might alter the way you do research. I'm not really sure, but uh, this is at the edge of an exponential era of, of change. And if you add in artificial intelligence and the capacity for this to add a second brain to people, you're going to have very, very smart consumers because. Um, image recognition glasses on at the same time, they walk up to your special offer in the store and know it's bullshit within about three seconds because <laughs> they've priced it against 15 other options on the internet. Makes life a little difficult for retailers, I can tell you that. Well, let's not fall too far down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the, the next I, example. I think, I think the other story that shocked me this year was in May we were sitting at Google I.O. going, oh, what is that magic he's put on the screen with the Google Assistant booking a restaurant? 
and the hairdresser's appointment, and we went, ah, oh, that's not really real. We saw the APIs and thought, mm, it could be real, but that, that natural language processing and the ability to talk to computers could not be possible. So you'd be absolutely shocked when you see what is launched on the Pixel 3. It's in America in seven cities at the moment coming here next year. We've got a, a little video, which is uh, Google's marketing video for the capabilities of the Pixel 3. <coughs> Hey Google, what makes Google for two at Alpha Cotero on Tuesday at 7? Alright, just in case that's not available, can I try between 7pm and 8pm? Sure. Alright, I'll call to book under your name and phone number, and I'll update you in the next 15 minutes. Is that okay? Perfect, thanks. Alpha Cotero, may I help you? Hi, I'm the Google Assistant calling to make a reservation for a client. Um, this automated call will be recorded. Can I book a table for Tuesday? Okay, cool. And how big is the party? It's for two people. Great. And when did you say they want to come in? Uh, Tuesday at 7 p.m. Okay, let me check. Mm -hmm. I don't have seven, but we can do eight. Yeah, eight p.m. is fine. Perfect. And can I get their name? Uh, first name is Anna. Okay. We'll see Anna Tuesday. Thank you. Okay, awesome. Thanks a lot. asking how they can use that level of intelligence and if it's connected to back-end systems with you know data they're going to want to interact uh, with voice you know there's some nightmare scenarios here of, of, of effectively we were talking earlier about people developing their own agents so it's going to be uh, marketing agents ringing the Google assistant of a consumer and then having a weird conversation on the Ethernet, that you may, you, you know, you two may not even know what you're, what the avatars are talking about. <laughs> I get in trouble because I say I, I actually doubt. I don't know if democracy is ready for it because you could wind up with a whole bunch of red versus blue bots just talking at each other constantly <laughs> about why you should vote for them. But the the potential to to just instantiate, if I use the tech word, um, an identity, and and to do that at scale. If you can do that, what that really means is they're doing that a hundred million times a second. Well, I'm, I've been putting my tinfoil hat on recently and, and moving away from everything Google because I know what the capability is and I know like what, what level of, of data they have on every individual on the planet, you know? like, um, And it's not because I'm afraid that Google's going to misuse it. It's because I'm afraid that somebody else might find all that data and misappropriate. Well, well if I can be ethical here for a tick, um, and this is something that you're right, we are very passionate about here in the AI space, um, uh, that's the wrong thing to do, um, particularly for people in this room, is that uh, you're interested, you are actually financially incentivized to build trust. That, that's the key. If you talk about GDPR and all the rest of it, it's about trust. Now, um, not everyone's actually incentivized to do that, if we're being honest. They should be. And not, but if you're really into marketing and building a relationship with someone, you absolutely care about trust. So you actually have an opportunity as custodians of the technology not to lean away from it, but to instead start to proactively set the tone of how it is used. The, the other thing, the big thing for me that was the change between the two videos is that the first video was, was terrifying when they, they launched it at I.O. The difference with this one is that when the assistant made the outbound call, it said, hi, I am a digital assistant and the following will be recorded. 
And so in the space of time since they showed the first piece of tech to when I think it then matured, they've also taken a moment to go, and by the way, we're going to take steps to make sure that there is some level of transparency. So I think that it's, it's not tinfoil hat time, it's get real about how do I do this in an, in an ethical way, because if everyone in this room does that, it will actively build trust, and that will also help set the tone from a policy perspective, from a societal perspective, about how to use it without ending democracy. It's definitely a consumer tinfoil hat that I wear, uh, <laughs> not, not a professional one being a digital person. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I think we still have to be conscious of the fact that not everyone um, feels the same way about some of this stuff, right? You know, I was, I was sharing with my colleague earlier, you know, that the, the other week when they moved over to the um, uh, e-health record, right, compulsory migration to the e-health record, I observed with great fascination how my Facebook friends divided into two quite distinct groups. There were those that felt this was big brother, it was a big problem, they, they waged lobbying wars to say, you've only got two more days to unsubscribe. And then there's the other guys that said, well, thank Christ they're not going to give me that medication that I'm allergic to if I'm in a car accident, right? So, you know, and then you, when you sort of pull back from it, to your point, you know, dude, if you're on Google and you're on Facebook, there's a bunch of data out there already on you. So your, you know, vision of privacy is, is blown anyway. The bottom line, though, is that there's a creepy grey line over which marketers or anyone... Um, needs to be careful of where they cross. The tricky bit about it is that not everybody has the same, the grey line isn't in the same place, right? So for some people, when they see the Google ads come up in their email that reflect the contents of their email, they find that extremely worrying. And then there's other people that think, well, that's great because oh, I don't see any advertising I didn't want to see. So organisations need to know more about their customers and what their customer sentiment is in relation to privacy you know and and use of data and and cater their ethical and their, their overall stance towards privacy so there's a there's a technical part of privacy which is how do we look after this stuff and make it secure and then there's an ethical part of it which is as an organization what will we do and what won't we do and how will we continue to monitor it that that's uh a really great segue into talking about the headlines of the year. And, and I'll just remind everybody that uh, in about five to ten minutes, we're going to be uh, throwing it to you guys for questions. So make sure that you, you log a, a really hot question just in your mind, and then you shoot your hand up as soon as, uh, as, soon as we throw it to you guys. But, um, but uh, look, a, a really important part of this discussion is, is data ethics, and we've been touching on it, skirting around it. Um, at the headlines of the year, Cambridge Analytica. Um, it was a confluence of a lot of different factors that resulted in something really bad happening. But there's just going to be more and more of that stuff happening if we don't uh, tweak things. And, and I guess one of the things that is being tweaked is the legislation you were talking about earlier in Australia, GDPR, which knocked out everybody's legal apartments for two weeks. Uh, how, how do you see, Nigel, this impacting the day-to-day -day of a marketer? I think it's time to step up. You know, you probably thought, oh, I finished university, it's all good, I don't have to learn anything more ever. Well, get used to the fact you're actually not going to have 10 jobs, you're going to have 10 careers, and one of them is going to be an ethicist of some kind. So you need to go, I mean, there are so many online courses around this. 
the lawyers are the only people that actually got an ethics education that I, I can figure out, and some of them are as dodgy as a $3 coin. So um, it's time to get online, and it's time to put some of those brain cells that you've been putting into your Instagram profile into actually learning what ethics is, and uh, plenty of courses. So that's the headline for 2019. The headline for 2019 is everybody learns ethics. <laughs> so um, knowing where to start with AI is half the battle. We, we've seen a lot of the, the outcomes of, of what AI can give us in terms of, of consumer experiences. Um, what do we need to learn more about as well as ethics um, to be able to grapple with these concepts? John, I mean, this is your space. Yeah, so for me, like I'm very much of the opinion that um, it's all connected. Our ability to actively participate in this technological shift is what controls our ability to influence it, right? If we're not participating in it, then it's just gonna be done to us, a la Cambridge Analytica, right? So the, the, the challenge is um, that we're currently doing a hell of a lot of stuff around conversational AI and doing stuff like bots. Everybody in the room will have some type of contact with a bot or has been involved with Apple mentioned CEO comes back and says, we need bots. And suddenly we're all doing a bot project. Um, the thing is though, that when you actually do this stuff, like really do it, um, first of all, it's all actually pretty, you know, pedestrian, to tell the truth. It is largely plumbing. But increasingly, we're using a couple of key words. We're using the idea of persona, and we're using the, the term dialogue. And we even have these cool things called intent libraries, right? But think about that for a second. Right? Intent, dialogue, and persona. These are literally what I use to build functional AI right now. Like, no, no, no word of a lie. Those are, those are your words as a marketer, right? So the, the technologists of the world are about to completely appropriate them. They're already doing it. So it is actually now mission critical for you. If you don't know, and that's my big takeaway for tonight, even, yes, absolutely, if you can't get yourself into an ethics degree, you should totally do that because it's just cool. Um, and it gives you, gives you great conversational... I think that's skills. the nerdiest thing that's ever been set up. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was going to be something techy, but it was actually that. Hell, bite the whole thing <laughs> off and go full-on philosophy. Like, when we're here next, next year, like, I want existentialism all the time. Um, the, the, if, you, if what you can do, though, is make sure that you go away and find out what is he talking about with those three words. What, why are those words being used in AI? Then, when you have the conversation in your business or with your clients about what are we going to do with AI, you can come in and go, I own this. Right? I don't know what your tech's going to do, I don't care, there's a dozen different ways to do it. But if you use the word dialogue and the persona that we are presenting to my customer, and, and I need to know the intent of that conversation, you're talking my language. And I need to have line of sight to that. Now if you do that, um, which is why I recommend it as your tip, even if you never understand the tech, you will at least continue to have line of sight to what is evolving into the new channel of the customer conversation. And that will also mean you can continue to be the custodian of that customer conversation and that trust with that customer. And if you can do that, then you'll be fine because I am meeting way, 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 way too many people who are being listed as data scientists who are actually C-sharp programmers who need to do a degree in humans, <laughs> never mind ethics. And, and they have cross-skilled into your world to learn the basics they need to basically keep doing what they've always done, which is make big blocks of code. So we need to see it happen the other way. And that, that's something that's come out in a lot of the, 
uh, popular business media these days. I mean, you see Accenture reports that say that there's going to be a humanities skills shortage in five years' time. Um, uh, we're, we're talking about chief empathy officers and that kind of stuff. Like, that's that's uh, buzzword critical right there. Well, yeah, it is, but at the same time, you know, that, that's what drove this uh, this AI conversation in the first place was a lot of the hyperbole. So where, where does it stop? Like, what's the actual practical implication for us as, as a room full of market? As long as we stop saying growth hacker. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. I agree. So um, AI is, is obviously fundamentally changing the way that we're going to be doing business. Uh, if not next year, well, definitely next year, but into the future. And in this kind of hyper-connected new world, um, what, what does that implication what, what's the implication for somebody who perhaps has been embedded in, in e-commerce, been embedded in the, the omni-channel retail experience? Um, what, what's your message to them? I, I think Sounds I already like said that one. <laughs> Sounds like a genuine question. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the question was really asking. Mm. Um, first of all, the whole omni-channel thing, I saw that in the question set, and I, I sort of... I don't know, dispute, it's another buzzword really, it's mm -hmm. like integration um, 10 years ago. Um, ultimately, um, marketers have a range of channels available to them um, and using those channels is gonna come down to a combination of what are your audience consuming during the purchase path and um, how much money have you got? Uh, so I hate to oversimplify the question but, you know, ultimately, you know, are you going to put TV ads on TV? Well, you know what? If you haven't got, you know, $5 million or more, probably don't bother. Um, and though I don't know, in some markets it may be cheaper, but, you know, whatever. It's The, the point of it is um, you you have to optimise a marketing budget to get the greatest return out of it. And, and there is nothing new or sophisticated about that technology it's, or that thinking. It's basic marketing. And I don't think that new technologies or new technology stacks actually discount basic marketing. Um, and, and speaking back to your point, you know, good basic marketing is about knowing who you're talking to, what do they actually need to hear, and how can you make sure that you say it at the time that they need to hear it? And you can make those decisions smarter by leveraging technology. Um, you can be more intelligent about how you target those questions. Um, you can be smarter about how you interact with them once they do contact you. But if you don't have that basic stuff right, then you're going to blow a whole bunch of money on a whole bunch of cool shiny new tools that don't actually deliver a return. It's time for questions. Um, just so that everybody realises there's about six questions in here about Enterprise Agile and how marketers can interface with it. Um, if you guys don't mind that I go two minutes over, can you just shout at me another two minutes? <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, so, just really, really quickly, I just want like a, a fifteen-second, twenty-second snippet from each of you on what uh, what agile means for marketers. Nigel, you've led an agile transformation over many years at REA. How does it how does it interface with the marketer? 
it's just a set of habits. It's a set of habits built by software developers. Some of them might be useful to you. In our place, it's you must have your work uh, prioritized, it must be visualized, it must be owned, there are no orphan pieces of work. You need to talk daily, and you need to figure out how the work works every month. Those are the fundamental rules at our place, whether you're in finance, legal, people and culture, or marketing, and some of my most amazingly productive people and teams, uh, people who work in what you would have called traditionally marketing roles, visualizing their work, constantly managing with their stakeholders what's next, understanding their numbers. Um, I guess that's what happens when you give intelligent people a good way of working. And, and Jenny, uh, culture plays a huge part in the Agile conversation and the Lean conversation and compare the market. Uh, can you comment a little bit about culture and how important it is uh, to establish it? Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge with Agile is you don't always know what you're gonna get when you start. Um, and so culturally developing some acceptance around that is probably the biggest challenge that any organisation that's transforming to Agile really is. Um, so in the context of that, um, you know, it may be that you don't try and make everything Agile for a start, you know, big money shots, plan them out. Um, and then the other piece of it is um, building a culture of flexibility because that's the other thing. You know, you may not end up with what you set out to achieve, you might end up with something better. Um, and then I, I guess the last thing I would say is build a culture where failure is celebrated because you've learned something. Um, if, if failure is a dismal disaster that results in somebody losing their job, you will not be able to build an agile culture. Great being the enemy of good, uh, in essence. Um, John, uh, just a, a final comment from you. I cede my time to the learned gentleman. Um, the, the comment we made just in beforehand was... Um, that no one is allowed to say at REA, I'm not a tech person. And we were talking about this, about like the, the marketers, that that's that's the challenge of 2019. You're not allowed to say that anymore. Do you want to share? There's, a flip, there's a flip side to it too, that uh, if you get into a management team or a leadership team at our place, the moment you step into the room, you, you might have had somebody who outside was a senior marketer or a senior IT person or a senior uh, designer UX or a senior salesperson. You step into the room at REA Group, Everyone cares about everything, and now I've got IT people caring about debtors and communication strategies. I've got UX people caring about uh, compliance and legal and sales numbers. That's the key. Stop functionally siloing yourself and take an interest in what's going on around you. Really high levels of communication, which is great for collaboration. Everybody, questions? Hey guys, how you doing? Um, there's obviously been a lot of talk about AI and its interaction in terms of marketing and everything like that. Um, you mentioned about the Instagram influencers and all that sort of stuff. Do you find that maybe people, like the, the technology that you guys are working on is actually so far advanced that people in the actual communities are not actually following, as in like they're actually shying away from it? Because I feel when I see Instagram influencers shoving these products down my throat, I can't stand it. And actually, even if I like the products, I will not buy it on principle. So in terms of like AI and, and sort of taking things to that next level, do you, I'm finding that I am meeting more and more people that don't have Facebook, that don't have Instagram, that don't have social media platforms. And obviously as marketers and, and people that are using those platforms to market our businesses, do you find that eventually, I mean, I'm pretty sure most of us have seen 
uh, Terminator and a few other different uh, films, you know, do you think there's people out there that are actually shying away from that whole AI? So is it, is it about like, uh, you know, what, what kind of expectation do we have about the cultural cringe um, of technology permeating well, I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of like watching that thing with the, the guy with the bit around the bone and everything like that. Why? Pick up the phone. Actually interact with someone. Like, okay. Are we going that far ahead into the future that we're losing out our human humane side? Oh, the tin fourth hat is obviously not here right now, but I don't know. Just in terms of the future, like I, th I, I can see that obviously everything is being focused towards the AI. But does that mean that there's going to be? Is there a potential that there's going to be quite a few people left out? I guess. Is. What's the reaction that you guys expect? Number one, don't be a marketer to marketers. I think in the same way, don't try and sell technology to technologists. They'll smell a rat instantly. Uh, and you know, people can spot a targeted ad within their stream pretty much. And if they if they're good and the story's great, they'll, they'll embrace that really well. I, Look, I'm an optimist about future technologies. I, I, I look at the kind of ethics and, and logic of the younger generation and well, they'll, they'll adopt this thing and uh, some countries will be worse than others in terms of the how they're using this for good or evil. And for all of the evil used in uh, Cambridge Analytica and its impact on the American election, there were several seats won recently by women Democrats where the uh, they set out to target and, and, and then get those people out and voting using Facebook. And I go, wow, okay, well, yeah, there's always two sides to the story. I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I just make a comment too? You know, I, if you look at any technology that's advanced, you know, and you know what, people thought cars were awful at the time. Um, books were awful. People thought, Books were awful, you know, the idea that you'd need to carry a mobile phone in your pocket, all of those things at some point in time, you know, people rally against them. The reality of it is that if technology, any technology, is um, useful and usable, it will gain critical mass. You know, if it's accessible, useful and usable, it will gain critical mass and not everybody will adopt it, you know? And I've got friends that refuse to be on Facebook for, you know, ethical reasons. It, everybody's different, everybody has a different view of what matters and what does, does matter and what doesn't matter. But what you can see, what history tells you, is that critical mass does drive, um, you know, shifts in technology adoption. And so, you know, and that those are the basic premises. It's got to be useful and usable. And there's a reason why, you know, the adoption curve approaches are limited. It doesn't actually reach an understanding. Yeah, no, no, yeah, that's right. Uh, other questions? We have one. Just a reminder, it's a question, not an essay. <laughs> Short and sharp. No, he said. Um, I loved your point, Nigel, before about time, trust, and transparency. Well, now I feel like shit. Now you want to talk. It's beautiful, thing. Um, no, along that note of time, trust, and transparency, of how important that is, and I'm in the business of trying to bring a bunch of medical specialists and GPs into the cloud. So that's definitely a relevant topic in terms of, you know, my health record is a thing and security and privacy is a big thing. My question is, do you have any good insights of how people are doing a good job of building that sense of um, trust in that move? Because there's so much misconception and there's so much mistrust when actually when you find out what those doctors are doing in their own practices to protect data privacy, it's ridiculous. And they're doing their banking online, but they're going, oh, I can't put my 
Customer, you know, so I was just thinking, do you have any insight into how you brought people on that journey or the messaging around that? Someone once said that trust comes in like a tortoise and goes out like a racehorse. <laughs> and, and it's pretty fair. I think just taking it slow and well, if we can do the simplest of things in our own habits and lives. If I had a dollar for every real estate agent who I've met who genuinely confessed that the password was their password and used, you know, eight zeros on their phone as their uh, passcode on that, I'd be a wealthy person and probably still at home in Melbourne, so I've retired. <laughs> These are the simple habits that need to take place. Uh, I think there's a tremendous story to be done around the storytelling of explaining to people the difference, you know, being cavalier with your health records versus being cavalier with your password on your Gmail. And it's one, one, you know, has tremendous consequences. Well, I'm just assuming that all the medical information in Australia leaks anyway, because, you know, there's just so many bad people out there hacking them. Um, building trust, cracking, that's, that's a tough one. That, I think that's an age-old problem. And it really probably is done by demonstration and behavior, not, not so much the stories. Anyone else with questions? Uh, we have two, we're gonna start at the back here and then we'll come to the front. Hello, my question is more um, directed at you, Jenny. And it's, um, I'm trying to formulate it in my head properly, but you know when you're just trying to get something out, so I apologize if I ramble a little bit, but I won't be too long, I promise. Um, <laughs> I guess it's more about how do you balance the prioritization of, um, you know, the meerkats being more a, a branding exercise compared to something that would be, you know, more directly correlated to lead acquisition? Because that's where you said before, that's where the, the money is, I guess. So how do you balance that in your marketing strategy, um, you know, with, with time, budget, um, you know, directing teams, all, all of that. Dare I say, sure. how do you compare the meerkat? <laughs> Sorry. Um, some of that's about your channel strategy, you know, like what is the role of a channel? Um, you know, so TV is a branding channel. You know, I, I think we'd be naive if we thought people were sitting there watching a TV show and the meerkats popped up and they were like, oh shit, I better go compare my insurance. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it doesn't happen that way, you know? So the role of the meerkats in a TV commercial is not a direct response mechanism, it's a branding awareness mechanism. Um, and we can track, um, you know, things like branded searches and direct searches as a quasi-indicator for whether or not they're achieving that. Um, you know, whereas in Google, you know, I can tell you categorically that meerkats do not work in Google AdWords uh, for driving anything but people looking up meerkats. So, <laughs> which, yeah. Um, so, so a lot of it's just about understanding what is the role of the channel and therefore what do you use. Um, the trick is making that message somewhat consistent throughout those channels. So that you can't just have meerkats having fun. They've actually got to somehow reflect back what we as a company do and what the value proposition is to the consumer as part of that message. Um, but it is a tricky little balancing act. Um, but yeah, it's it's your channel strategy as much as anything. Uh, thank you all for being so disappointed with that uh, meerkat comment, by the way. My wife will be very proud of you. Um, but, uh, but look, um, I'll, we'll have one more question, and it's just down the front here. Uh, can we bring the other one down the front? 
There it is. Um, my question's for you. You mentioned before that um, you felt that Australia was seven years behind um, when you came back. Do you think that is still the case? And the second part of that question is, if we were seven years behind, or even it's come shorter now, how do you then get the learnings from what's happened in the past so that we're actually more advanced going forward? Well, it's a good thing that we're about to break that alcohol. Because it, uh, I don't have an answer, but it, it won't be inspiring. Um, we... So we can all commiserate yes, your response with the last question. Yeah. It is, here's the truth. You can argue about why it happened. We're the only country in the OECD top that didn't go into full-scale, serious, prolonged recession. Right? So you know why we haven't done it? Because we haven't had our asses handed to us yet. You know what started to happen? Started to get our asses handed to us. And it's starting with four of the great untouchables, right? We're in the middle of a royal commission where people are gonna go, you know what? Yeah, that, that untouchable part of your economy, touchable. The signal that that sends to the global economy about competition, hunting season in Australia is open. And so what is now accelerating that is that the smart money is going, holy crap, like we've got to move. They're already seeing it. It's not a case that it will happen. They're losing share. They're losing their, their ability to continue to control the type of returns that they were expecting, so they have to accelerate. On your second point about how do you accelerate adoption, I've, I've read some heartbreaking stories about women in tech coming back from tours of the rest of the world, coming back into uh, an organization and trying to just carry that message as a friendly and being told to just shut up. Um, and, and I think it's particularly true for, for women in tech, obviously, for a bunch of other reasons that we know about. Um, but I think it's also true for anybody trying to come back. Uh, Australia is now, it's not going to sit there and, and learn. Australia is going to do what it always does. It's going to hit its head against the wall and do it the hard way because we're backwards. So the, the good thing is that that's an enormous opportunity, right? With the, the untouchable housing market, Touchable. The untouchable big four, touchable. And so as that all starts to cascade over the next 18 months, and it's already started, the opportunity for the people in this room is really you have a choice. You can keep going on defense, and some people will need to, but actually the future belongs to offense. And that is actually the, the meat and potatoes of what this room, what marketing should be doing. Um, so it, my advice is align to people who actually want to fight. And they'll be the ones that adopt and learn. If you're in somewhere that wants to stick their head in the sand, leave them to it. You can always pick up the debris afterwards. <laughs> I think that turned into a really optimistic point uh, of view. The cynical optimist, perhaps. Um, so uh, I've asked each of our speakers tonight to prepare some final top tips for us, as we tend to do here at Networks. Um, these will be shared uh, via video to Facebook, so if you need to relive it or you want to share it with your friends, um, please head over to the Networks Facebook page, give us a like, uh, we'll post the photos as well from tonight. Um, so uh, Nigel, what, what are your top tips for uh, marketers this evening uh, leaving this room and, and wanting to know what the hell I do next? So for your Christmas present for 2019, if I could buy you all something, I would buy you each one of these books. Because the top tip for 2019 is you're going to have to read more. Get off Instagram, get off Facebook, and read or listen to the audible versions of at least four of these books next year. Uh, inside these books are people who've thought through the complexities of what you face 
they've joined the dots and they'll leave you thinking about how you can bring to your job a whole new mindset and approach. That must have been a popular slide because there are about 20 phones that came out then. It will be posted to Facebook, all right. Uh, Jenny, uh, what are your top tips as marketers head fearlessly into 2019? Um, so the first thing is uh, do what you do well. You know, that may go without saying, but um, be thorough about what you do. Um, I think being brave, uh, and, and being brave means um, try things that you've never tried before in a measured and calculated way um, and be willing to fail at those things um, because you won't move forward unless you do um, and try to put any of your own try not to be a focus group of one um, that that's the biggest failure I see in marketing is the focus group of one um, look outside of your organisation and the opinions that exist within your organisation about what is what's meant to be and what your customers do and go find out for yourself. John, tips? Uh, if we are in the middle of an industrial revolution, the lesson you should take is from the last one. Uh, we figured out how to make electric motors and nobody bought them for 60 years. It didn't happen overnight, it took 60 years. The reason for that is that the factories were built around steam engines and they needed basically a huge crankshaft. And so the initial proposal was, don't use the motor you already have, use my cooler motor, and nothing else changed. Everything changed when someone went, wait a minute, electric motors are light, and they changed the shape of the building. When they changed the shape of the building, you got the office building we now know today. You got cubicles, you got a complete economic shift. Your challenge is to retain control of the real question, which is how you are marketing, what are your channels, what is your message? Keep control of the words like intent, like dialogue, and like persona. And don't look at the new widget and go, why would I just swap the widget I've already got with that widget? Look at it and go, how does that let me totally change the game? Be involved in game changing, even if it's only a little, because it's only one year before we ask this question again. But, but approach it with that mindset and you'll stay relevant. So be bold, educate yourself, feel okay to fail, and learn about electric motors. Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure to bring you this panel. Please thank our panelists. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode's content. If you'd like to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. You can check out the show notes for more information about this episode and a link to an upcoming Networks event. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter and tune in next time for a different topic and panel of speakers.